everyone, Eric Rennie here, and welcome to the 41st episode of The Red Podcast. The conservative leadership race is about to hit another milestone, as April 29th is the deadline for candidates to submit their 500 signatures and the $300,000 entry fee to be verified candidates and to make it on the final ballot. But whoever makes it to the finish line, this race still looks like Pierre Polyev's to lose. Or does it? To discuss the latest in the conservative leadership race, here with me again this week is Chad Rogers, founding partner at Crestview Strategy, and Tim Powers, chairman at Summa Strategies. And also joining us this week is the CBC's Catherine Cullen, who has been covering the conservative leadership race. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hey, Eric. We're, we're glad you classed the joint up. Chad and I are glad you upped the, upped the game by bringing Catherine on. Thank you. <laughs> we're expecting some deep context. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, Catherine, I think I think you've covered all of the ones since 2017 like me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're recording this on Thursday. As it stands right now, there are five verified candidates. Uh, so we have Roman Baber, we have Patrick Brown, Jean Charest, Pierre Poliev, and Leslie Lewis. There probably will be some more before uh, the deadline passes at five o'clock uh, on the 29th. Um, you have to have $300,000 raised to get on the ballot. Catherine, you, you know, you've been talking to a lot of the campaigns. I know some of them raised a lot of money. Jean Charest raised a million dollars quicker than I think Peter McKay did. Um, but how much of a challenge do you think this fundraising has been for some of the other candidates? I think everybody was pretty confident that there were going to be four candidates in this race, Jean Charest, Pierre Polyev, um, uh, Leslin Lewis, and Patrick Brown. The fact that Roman Babber has made it onto the list, and my understanding is that uh, Scott Aitchison's team says that he is also mm. going to get verified status. Uh, you know, it is impressive. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of signatures. It's not an easy thing to do. I think it also speaks to the fact that election uh, leadership campaigns in a lot of ways, they're icebergs, right? We see just the little bit of it poking out on the surface, um, be it media appearances, tweets, social media, whatnot, but so much is happening in terms of the ground game, in terms of the efforts to raise all of that money. And it's not always clear to us exactly how well everybody is doing from the stuff that we can see on the surface. So something like this deadline is really useful because it, it does allow us to get a little bit of a sense of how things are shaping up. Tim and Chad, does it matter who else gets on this ballot aside from, you know, the main four candidates? Yeah, every additional candidate makes it a little bit harder to win it in the shortest number of ballots uh, uh, now. I mean, it's a single transferable, so it's not like uh, we're going to stop the process on the day of counting and wait and go another round. It'll happen simultaneously. But if if you're a front runner in this race, yeah, every, every single candidate that gets added to the ballot... Um, distorts is too pejorative, but changes the shape of the race. I mean, look at look at the effect of uh, Patrick Brown as a significant competitor and Leslin Lewis potentially owning the value vote coalition within the party. That that creates more than one potential outcome that uh, Pierre Polyev campaign has to worry about and factor into their thinking. It also means that you're out there competing to say, even if I don't believe Scott Atchison's going to have a significant number of votes, I do have to show him enough respect to try and get his number twos if I want um, to close this thing as soon as possible. Tim? And you saw earlier on, I think a couple of weeks ago, Shere said openly, look, I'm talking. I think he talked to everybody that you've named, Chad. Uh, except Pierre Polyev, and they may have connected by now. So yeah, having more candidates matters. It, I mean, it's so what do we have? We will, you said five, we'll get to six, maybe seven. That's nearly $2 million uh, in, an, in, in an environment where it's hard to raise money, uh, where people have less money to give. And it also, I think, says something about the narrative that's developing that, you know, Pierre Polyev has got this in the bag. As Catherine said, he may, he may, we don't know. But why are people still spending 
$300,000 to enter a race that they can't potentially win. It, that, that to me remains so fascinating that so many people are spending. It's not chunk change. I mean, Chad may spend that in a night in PEI, but for the rest of us, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good bit of coin that you got to put on the table. What would be the motivation then for some of these people, Tim? Well, like if you're someone or Chad, if you know, if you're someone like Leona, Alice Lev, you're Scott Aitchison, you know, you have a long shot at best. Well, if you're Scott Atchison, uh, you're buying your way out of the I'm an Ontario mediocre white guy club, and I'm never going to be on the front bench of a significant senior critics portfolio or cabinet uh, portfolio. So he is saying, I'm going to make a $300,000 investment financed by party members uh, to try and join a a better club within the party Mm. of notoriety. If you're Roman Baber, um, it's the same. You're buying a different type of relevance. You're probably saying in future, I want to run for something else, or I want to follow the uh, the storied and honorable legacy of an Ezra Levant, and I want to have an angry coalition <laughs> of people that I can mobilize on a semi regular basis for some future gig. Um, but the conservative, I'll take I'll take a little bit of an issue with Tim's point on on the money. Yeah, three hundred thousand is real money. But in the Conservative Party, it's a reasonable amount to raise. Uh, conservatives understand that money is is speech. And when they see you do something you like, they donate and they're conditioned to do it. It's why the Liberals were so short-sighted to get rid of paid membership. Uh, the mm-hmm. Conservative Coalition is one that understands how to use its credit card number to buy a membership, to make a donation, to support candidates. Um, if you're Leona Alislev, um, I'm not quite sure what the play is there. Uh, other than, you know, she sees herself as a former deputy leader. She sees herself as an esteemed member of caucus. Um, but but if you're Leona, if you're Pierre, if you're Patrick, you're playing to win. If you're Mr. Charest, you are playing to put your deposit down. Uh, Mr. Charest is, I believe, releasing his secret platform this week where he's going to announce his first act as prime minister is to apologize on behalf of all conservatives to <laughs> for being conservative and ever <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, that, that that's, that's not cheap. Yeah. Listeners of the podcast will know that Chad is a big Jean Charest booster in this campaign. He thinks he's got a real I like shot. him as a human being. I think he's a great guy. I just, this campaign is, uh, you know, the only thing it's missing is, uh, is a long black car. Okay. Uh, don't mean a limousine. Let's move on to some of the things that happened. Uh, Catherine, there's been some announcements. Uh, you know, we had Pierre Poliev talking about the Bank of Canada uh, talking about pipelines and oil uh, development, we've seen Joshua come out with an environmental uh, platform. What 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 do you make of these? Uh, you know, what is the what what are they trying to do here? Well, I mean, I suppose to some extent, every candidate is trying to speak to the various uh, coalitions and whatnot that they think might support them in the leadership. It has been interesting to see how they've all taken such different tactics when it comes to these policy releases. Jean Charest, no question. He's the one who is out there. I think it's every second or third day now. He's putting out for a leadership race, actually a pretty substantive policy position on a number of issues. If you take, for instance, his environmental platform that came out earlier this week. Um, So again, I think trying to show uh, this sort of statesman-like uh, thing that he feels that mm-hmm. he brings to the race, right? That he's the guy with the, he's a real leader. He's the guy with the ideas. He's the the grown up in the room, essentially. Pierre Polyev, yes, putting out policy as well. And I think it's always important to talk about his housing policy because that uh, speaks to the way that he has been able to identify, you know, he's not necessarily so interested 
from what we can see in weighing in on all issues, but rather targeting those specific issues that he knows are really sensitive for people, both within the conservative movement and those who might be brought into it, like housing, right? I mean, you don't have to be a card-carrying member of the Conservative Party to be worried about the price of housing in Canada right now. If you're somebody who's trying to buy a house, if your kids are trying to buy a house, if you're even just trying to find a place to rent, these are very salient issues for people. So Polyev has focused, and you know, Bank of Canada, you may say, well, what the heck does that have to do with trying to find a place to rent? But again, in terms of the way that he's built the strategy around this, he's trying to speak to an affordability issue. He's trying to speak to this idea of, um, you know, I say gatekeepers is the elites 2.0, right? He's lashing out against the powers that are out there that according to Pierre Polyev's narrative have been holding back and hurting Canadians and hurting affordability. Um, Leslie Lewis, you have a little bit of policy from her as well, uh, but primarily I think we're speaking to her, we're seeing her speak as she has in the past to some fairly niche groups. For instance, today, Thursday, as you say, we're recording, Eric, she's talking about uh, some of her policies around uh, abortion and some of the limits she'd like to put on that. It's not actually new policy. It looks a lot like what she was doing in the last campaign, but again, speaking to those constituencies that she hopes are gonna support her. You know, Eric, there's something else too. Sorry, I was just gonna, if I can follow up on Catherine's point, I think you're seeing, I think we'd all agree, Polyev at least is perceived to be the front runner for a whole bunch of different reasons. Unlike the front runners in the last two conservative leadership campaigns, so going back, back to the, the race Shear one and the race Aaron O'Toole run, ran, uh, he seems to be more aggressive in keeping his foot on the pedal because I think his team are acutely aware that there was complacency by the previous two front runners. So he, in the last couple of weeks, has said more on policy and made himself a little bit more available to the media because he doesn't want to get complacent. The, the stills and the videos of him with big rooms are great, but he knows, his team knows, that's not enough because there still are these six entrants to the race. Catherine didn't mention um, in, in the, her analysis of the policy and, and why would she, because there hasn't been that much from him, Patrick Brown. Brown is doing this entirely differently. Great story I heard this morning. I was at the, the gym with a buddy of mine and his partner ran into Patrick Brown last night. Where did she run into him? At a major uh, union meeting here in Ottawa where he was coming to pitch to the union for their support. Now, Chad probably will figure out the union, and this was a group I think he had aligned before when he was the Ontario PC party leader, but this is what Patrick Brown does well. He's not weighing in on the Bank of Canada. He's not weighing in on, on homelessness to a large degree, and he's out at these groups. And, and why does that matter? Well, you could need only look at how he won before, how Dalton McGuinty and, and the Liberals won in Ontario, lining up with these big groups that are well organized, know how to mobilize for leadership races. So again, he remains so fascinating to me. And I wonder how many more of these types of meetings is he doing across the country and succeeding at uh, as he tries to win this race? I, I've been calling uh, the Patrick Brown campaign the nuclear submarine campaign because it's running quiet and it's running. Yeah. It's also powered by something that's explosive, toxic, and will eventually kill you if you get too close to it. Um, uh, the nuclear sub campaign of Patrick Brown, it has involved going out and promising things that if anyone figured it out, they would lose yeah. their minds. So he said that the Tamil Tigers will no longer uh, be classed a terrorist group because he is recruiting almost exclusively Tamil voters. He is also saying to uh, Muslim uh, Canadian voters, um, 
that the conservative party will no longer uh, be as supportive of uh, Israel or the Canadian Jewish and Israel supporting community and that uh, potentially the move of the embassy to Jerusalem will be undone on his watch. Uh, so he is picking group by group uh, and doing things that the broad party wouldn't stand for and saying, I will give you what you want if you agree to support me uh, uh, contrary to the others. It's a major breakaway from the pack uh, play. It's very high risk, but high risk is Patrick Brown's uh, uh, meat and potatoes. Well, if we're contrasting, though, a bit of the uh, the style, you know, if you do have Patrick Brown, who was speaking in smaller groups, uh, maybe not making uh, broad policy uh, announcements or promises beyond, uh, you know, the people that he's speaking to, um, does that make more sense now versus what Pierre Polyev is doing, Chad, who is? Well, I think um, if you're a if you're a candidate discredited by financial and sex crimes, your only option to run for leadership of a national party is to go to groups one by one and say, I don't care what you believe in or if you ever stick around in the party, but I'll trade you. I'll trade you the one thing you care about if you loan me your vote for the leadership. And this is classic Patrick Brown. It is ideologically incoherent, ethically ambiguous, but maybe, maybe successful. Um, this is how he runs. Uh, so it could be, you know, the 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 private, uh, the quasi-private sector uh, labor movement uh, around construction and building trades. It could be uh, uh, groups that otherwise haven't had any sucker or comfort in the conservative coalition for some time ethnoculturally. Uh, Patrick is is out there doing horse trading. To some degree, do all politicians do it? Yes. Uh, but is Patrick doing it against the interests of the coalition? Yes. Uh, Catherine, when you speak to other campaigns, do they... How do they perceive the Patrick Brown campaign? Do they see it as something that is they're not sure what's going on with it? They don't know how much of a um, you know a threat he is to their path to victory. Uh, what's the perception within the other campaigns you find? It really struck me from the get-go when there was still just talk that Patrick Brown was going to get into this race. When you would speak to people in the other camps, you know, not a person will deny the extent to which Patrick Brown is a truly political animal. You know, I, I remember one of the, the, the uh, campaign organizers saying to me, not for Patrick Brown, for another campaign, in order to be a candidate in this race, you have to want it more than oxygen. And I think that that is especially true. Everyone will tell mm -hmm. you about Patrick Brown. The idea that the man virtually does not sleep. Um, you know, he, he is up in the mornings, we're told by multiple sources, uh, making phone calls to the East Coast when it's a reasonable time to be calling people there. And he is on the phones up until midnight, perhaps past midnight, speaking to people on the West Coast, right? And his, his team says that he does something like 10 or 20 events a day in the midst of all of that. And again, this idea, someone touched on it earlier, but of how well organized some of those events are and creating, you know, uh, sort of group captains to ensure that more people are are signed up. And it really, I'll say, um, you know, as somebody who's covering this, a member of the media, it is a bit of a challenge too, because mm -hmm. so much of what he's doing is not visible to us that I think um, the fact that we don't see as much coverage of him might signify to people watching the race that he's not as significant when in fact, everybody you talk to suggests, I mean, he does have the potential to be certainly an important force in this race. I haven't heard anybody say that they think he's about to win it, except perhaps the members of his campaign team. But to discount him, I haven't heard a person do that. Well, when we're talking about the big crowds for Poliev, if he has one big crowd of 2,000 people and Patrick Brown has 20 crowds of 100, it's the same thing, right? And uh, so that's... Well, except, except, see, this is the thing, right? This is the crowd size argument that drives me mad. It's the same thing if they all get converted. 
right? right? And yeah. that's the and then, and then there's two conversions, right? There's converting them to vote or so, sorry to sign up, and then there's finding them in June and getting them to vote. There's this simple default logic still emerging that the crowd means they're all going to vote, and likely many of them will. The other thing that I've heard, and again, Chad and Catherine would know better or have better information on this is, are these PPC supporters that are coming over, which Pierre would attract because of some of the things that he said, and are they willing to, to cross over? There's nothing, correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine or Chad, preventing anybody in Canada from having dual memberships or triple memberships in different parties. Uh, but I've heard that discussion. Is, is, there, is there a hesitation there? No. Point being, Pierre may get these people who were PPC or who who are, aren't uh, weren't fans of Aaron O'Toole or for whatever reason didn't vote for the party, but can he convert them? Now he's got good people who are working on that, but two thousand in a room doesn't mean two thousand votes. So I would only say, and it's it's hard to execute on this for the for the process nerds out there. Yeah. Um, to be a member of the party, you have to support the aims and principles of right. uh, yeah, the right, Constitution. Right. So you can make a challenge that someone can't hold a dual membership. They would have to renounce uh, in another party. So you would allow a convert uh, to be a loud voice in the choir. You wouldn't allow uh, uh, someone to go to two parishes, uh, but awfully hard to do a membership challenge on that basis and, and document it. Let's talk just a little bit because we haven't talked about um, her much yet, but Leslie Lewis's campaign uh, is she, because she is also in a way a bit like Patrick Brown in the sense of, uh, you know, not getting as much of the media attention and, you know, the size of her crowds, people talking about her events as much. Um, you know, she took somewhere over 30% of the vote on the second round back in in um, in 2020. Uh, Tim, do you think that she is still playing in that kind of field or is are the other candidates in a way kind of pushing her uh, uh, further down uh, the ballot than than maybe last time. Well, Chad's colorful language in describing Patrick Brown, Jean Charest's very open and progressive history on social issues, Pierre Polyev's embrace correctly, in my view, of, of equal marriage, Scott Aitchinson being more progressive. I mean, who's going to bleed off of her, right? And at least in the first go around, or, and, and that may be Roman Baber. So I, I think she still has a constituency of voters who like her values, to use the word I think Chad has correctly uh, used throughout this. Um, it, it also seems, we talked about this last podcast, Eric, you can also tell how somebody's doing by how the other candidates interact with them. It makes sense that Sheree and, and, and Polyev or Brown and Polyev are fighting, but nobody's going after Leslie Lewis. That would suggest, and again, it's just a suggestion, because as we've all acknowledged, we don't really know that she does have the ability to deliver a powerful segment or segments of voters. The only thing I'd say about uh, Dr. Lewis at this point, and the only bit of notoriety, which is probably helping her, as Jen would appreciate too, is this foolish story about the battle between her and her former campaign manager who Chad and I know, and I won't mention because I don't want to get sued. Um, but, but other than that, she seems to be very focused on doing what she did last time, being a player and maybe setting herself up for uh, ongoing senior leadership positions in the Conservative Party. Chad, before you jump in, I'm sure you had something to say, but, um, you know, w Lewis 
would I wouldn't say that you know that she delivered her supporters to anybody in 2020 or the same thing that Brad yeah, Trost didn't do in 2017. But their supporters still, most of them, will go somewhere, right? And last yeah. time they did go to Aaron O'Toole by big numbers over Peter McKay. And if you do end up on a final ballot where you have a Jean Charest and um, and uh, a Pierre Polyev, you would imagine that they would likely go to Pierre Polyev. But the Patrick Brown part is a little bit of a complicated. If it's Patrick Brown and Pierre Polyev, then then it's harder to know where people who would rank Lewis first, who they would rank second. But Chad, if you wanted to jump in. Well, we'll just remember um, the Conservative Party is actually the one big tent party in the country that says if you believe in God enough that you live your life according to the values of your religion, you're welcome. And you can talk about that and not be ostracized in the Conservative coalition. The other two parties will police you and say, no, you have to check your religious or values beliefs at the door when they bump against what the leader currently feels. And Leslie Lewis's coalition is made up of people who are unabashedly dedicated to their religious and other values as a, a kind of a first principle in life. And that's that's rarer in Canada. And mm-hmm. look, Lesson Lewis's campaign isn't quiet amongst the media that covers various communities of faith uh, or, or, or values-based communities. So it's not just, you know, we, we talk about issues of reproductive rights. Um, it's not just issues involving uh, the gays. It's not. It's it's people who choose to have faith front and center in their life. Now, look, the the grace of the faith has never captured me uh, like it has a lot of other people. Um, but I have, res- you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have open contempt against people who choose to be uh, religious. And it's not just old line uh, Catholics who care about abortions. It's not just one type of evangelical. There are there are lots of different strains of faith based communities who 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 are crying out for a candidate that says not do you agree with me on every issue, but will you at least give me the respect of not calling me a weirdo or a fetishist because I still am an actual adherent to my religion? Um, that's Lesland's bread and butter. Uh, values-based voters who say, I understand the conditions of the day, I understand the intellectual construct you want to build about uh, this, but uh, my religion and my family values are more important to me than anything else and they're unchanging. That's who she's speaking to. And in the the two years of COVID and all the distortion and frustrations of COVID, those Mm -hmm. communities are... Uh, they've not been able to gather in fellowship for two years, which has created an even further pent up demand. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a moment. It's a, it's a pretty significant constituency in a conservative leadership because, you know, you'd have a lot of folks who used to be members of the other parties and aren't welcome there anymore. I would agree, if I can jump in, Eric, with what Chad is saying, but I would also look at um, this iteration of her leadership and who else she is speaking to. You know, she wrote an editorial for the National Post. um, I'm trying to remember if it was before or after she actually became an MP, but certainly after her first kick at the can with the leadership, where she talked about Canada being in the midst of a socialist coup under Justin Trudeau. And she recently doubled down on that. She put out Mm. another release saying like, look at what's happened during COVID. It's clear from her perspective that that is true because of some of the things around, for instance, vaccine mandates um, and and the government's role in dictating as as she and people who uh, support her would say, you know, personal health choices, the government trying to get into your business when it comes to your health. So um, her support also of the, uh, the, the trucker convoy of the convoy in Ottawa, she is certainly Without question, I think Chad is bang on talking about how she's speaking um, to the values of certain faith-based communities, Mm -hmm. but she is also speaking to another contingent as well. And I think that also speaks to where some of her vote goes and how it might more naturally feed off into uh, what Pierre Polyev is putting forward for the party. Yeah, I think that's a a really good point. 
for those faith-based voters who would be from a broad, a very broad spectrum of evangelical and, and protest-driven new faiths, when we talk about socialism and global government and those various con uh, conspiracy stories that work, what you're talking about is godlessness and what you're talking mm -hmm. about are states and societies without religion as their mooring point or values as their mooring point anymore. Um, it, 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 uh, it's a cul-de-sac that ends up back in the same place. Uh, let's move on to, um, so there's going to be debates uh, coming up in May. Two of them are official. One is being by the uh, Canada I can't remember the strong and free, isn't it? Strong yes. and free, but used to be the Manning Center. Uh, um, Colin, starting with you, um, Catherine. Sorry, just back, back, back like in the old newsroom. Um, <laughs> sorry, yeah, Catherine. Um, so Tim and Chad, I'm going to ask for you guys. You can think about it now. The advice you would give to the mayor. Are you saying Catherine's faster on her feet? Is that why you're going to her first? Okay, we just yeah. learned that. She's a media yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, a media she mainstream she media. Talking. So fast <laughs> and so smart. Go ahead. Anyway, you guys, you can Best think about it. The advice you would give to each of the main candidates in the debates. But Catherine, what are you going to be expecting? You know, you, we're already talking about how no one's saying anything unkind to Leslie Lewis, so they're probably going to do that in the debates. But what, what, what do you think is going to be happening in those? Well, let's just start with I'm pumped, Eric. Uh, I know like, you know, the, the, the discussion has been had ad nauseum about debates and the significance and the leadership. Um, I think this is gonna be really interesting to watch. Let's put aside the significance for a yeah. minute. It's gonna be pretty fascinating watching these debates. This is in particular, now I started out my career um, in Montreal. I have watched Jean Charest in yeah. action for a long time. There's been a lot of criticism about how his campaign has gone thus far. He is going to be an interesting force in those debates. I really don't know what's going to happen when you put him up against Pierre Paglia, but I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm not convinced that it is going to be this massive sea change in terms of what is happening in this leadership race, but I, I think the idea of these very different approaches, very different worldviews coming into contrast is really interesting. Also, the submarine finally has to come above the water, right? We have to get a little bit of a sense of what's going on there. And while we talked about not really having heard a lot from Patrick Brown, in fact, when you look at what's going on, the times that we have heard from him, the times that he has been most uh, vocal, it's to take a swing at Pierre Polyev, right? So I think that speaks to the possibility. I mean, really, the three of them, uh, you're talking about real sort of street fighters in politics in one form or another. So seeing the three of them on the stage is going to be interesting. I will say Lewis really struggled in French last go around. Uh, she has said on the one hand that she was working on it. And then on the other hand, that her French lessons got derailed at one point. Um, so I, I think she's already sort of aside because the other candidates aren't going to want to take swings at her, but she may also kind of put herself in a corner a little bit with her, uh, with her French abilities during the French debate. But I guess that remains to be seen. And before I jump to Tim and Chad, uh, Catherine, Patrick Brown, does he speak French? I've heard that he speaks some French. A little uh, bit, I think, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, peu, yeah. I think, uh, I think the debate's probably going to be dominated by Pouliev and, and uh, Charest. So that'll be mm -hmm. an interesting dynamic there. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I gave you some time uh, to ruminate on it. So Tim, if you're, if you were giving, <laughs> I still don't have enough time, Erica. It's too dumb. Uh, if I, Condensed sort of advice to those main candidates in the debates, what they have to do. We'll start with Sheree. I think Chad's made a good point that Mr. Sheree does need to listen to. You You. you, you, you can't position yourself as uh, the other JC, Jesus Christ incarnate, here to save you all. Uh, and that you're a bunch of dirty, rotten conservatives. That has been a bad message for them. I understand what he's trying to do, but he's done it very poorly. So he's got to find a way to break away from that and showcase what Catherine talked about a moment ago, that he, ha he has winability. 
winability or the country and that he knows the issues and that he's thoughtful. He, he's going to have to uh, be able to defend himself against the attacks that are to come from Pierre Polyev in a non-condescending way and be able to turn those attacks around. So, Sheree, you're a good performer. Bring your best performance, but don't bring hubris and don't bring condescension. Polyev, almost the same advice. Um, you, I think voters, maybe not so much the, the, the right away, but over the next three debates, they're going to want to see what Pierre Polyev is going to be like as a leader, as opposed to a critic. And he's an effective critic. He's an effective partisan. So how does Pierre strike that balance? How does he defend himself against some of the things that are going to come his way on the Freedom Convoy and everything else, which the liberals will throw at him? So he's got to demonstrate to conservative voters that he has a dexterity dealing with attack from um, from from the outside. And then I'll stop at, at, at Brown. I, I think Patrick has to demonstrate that he can be on the floor with those two, because when Patrick was a member of parliament, he didn't get that much floor time. He wasn't the, the same high profile person that Pierre Polyev both was at committee and eventually as a critic. Uh, so he and, and he has to demonstrate why there were attributes that people saw in him when he was the leader of the Ontario PC party. He has to demonstrate he can perform. It's fine to do things, as, as Chad has described and Catherine's agreed with in the submarine fashion, but he's got to show he's performing and he's comfortable. He's also got to score some points on Polyev because there will be some conservatives that will want to see that Pierre can or sorry, that Patrick can articulate the, you know, the forceful liberal criticism that they so adore from Pierre Polyev. Hmm. Chad. I, I think Pierre as the front runner has to, has to restrain himself from two things. Hmm. He's got to restrain himself from fighting with Sheree because it feels good and satisfying uh, because it only elevates Sheree. Uh, and he, he's got to restrain himself from playing to the whole room in demonstrating what he's going to be like as prime minister Pierre's job in these debates is to win over Les and Lewis voters and convince them that he will be a safe ally and that she will be his deputy. That is Pierre's job in each one of these debates. Uh, Charest's job is every argument he gets into is good for him. Uh, every contrast in which he gets to debate in French eloquently is good for him. Every second of airtime he can get is good for him. Uh, Leslin's got to prove that she cares about things beyond conspiracy. Um, Patrick Brown has to prove he's not a pro-carbon tax scandal monkey, uh, which is going to be pretty hard for him to do because he's a pro-carbon tax scandal monkey. Uh, the other folks running have to teach people what their names are. Yeah, always a challenge. Okay, well, we'll finish on this. Uh, last time I had asked uh, both you, uh, Tim and Chad, for a front runner, challenger, and sort of a wild card candidate. Catherine, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that. Uh, you can maybe you could say what. The perception is within the race of who is the front runner, the challenger, and sort of the wild card people are talking about. Um, when I did it last time, I said it was Poliev, Charest, and uh, Lewis. Now I'm thinking it's it's Brown and not Charest as uh, second place, but um, that's where I am. Uh, Catherine, I don't know if you want to weigh in. You want to start? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I would go back to what I said before, which is that um, Charest is getting a lot of headlines for a lot of reasons. Putting out policy, he is uh, quite a known quantity to the media. And uh, as a member of the media and somebody covering this race closely, I am very sensitive to the idea that the public might perceive that this is fundamentally a battle between Jean Charest and Pierre Polyev, and I don't think that's the case. So I, I guess I would uh, be in violent agreement <laughs> with you, Eric. It's Listen, it's clear that Pierre Polyev is at the front of this race. He is the perceived front runner. Um, 
there's still plenty of runway here remains to be seen, but I think, um, and again, going back to that idea from the beginning about the iceberg, right? Like even, even as a member of the media and somebody who's talking to all the campaign teams, at the end of the day, you don't quite know. And that's why we love things like debates or even policy releases, because they give us a chance to try to size up a little bit of what's going on. Seems like Pierre Polyev's in the lead. It seems like Patrick Brown has a shot at giving him a run for his money. It seems like Jean Charest is really, uh, you know, going to be ready to go in for a fight with this race and that Leslie Lewis is probably doing some important things that maybe aren't getting as much uh, attention or scrutiny as they might be. TBD. Tim, last week uh, or last time we, we spoke, you had Polyev as the front runner. You were going between Charest and Brown, but then I think you settled on Charest and you said that Scott Aitchison was your sort of wild card. Uh, are you changing any of those? Wild card doesn't mean I put him at number three. Lord, no, Jesus no, no. Wild there, card no. being someone who could surprise, who could do something, a dark, you know, a dark horse candidate, that kind of thing. Well, I love Catherine's reference to the, the iceberg, because where I come from, that means the Titanic's out there. So is the Titanic going to sink? And who is, in fact, the Titanic? Is it Chere? Is it Polyev for different reasons? I am going to go with Polyev, number one, and Brown, number two. And I do think Sheree has picked his game up a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Whether that's actually meant membership signings, I don't know. But I would go with those one, two, three. And Scott Aikens would still like him. He can still be a wild card, but he's not big enough to be the Titanic just yet, Eric. Chad, you uh, shocked us a little <laughs> bit last week when you said it was Brown who was the front runner. Um, and uh, then uh, you had Polyev and, and you talked about Lewis uh, as your kind of three people to keep an eye on. Where are you now? I'm in the same place because I can't get data points that prove or disprove yeah. Patrick isn't well because he's out there acquiring new members at a faster rate. Polyev has the rallies, but the Polyev mm -hmm. rally participants are on the current membership list. The Patrick rally participants are net new, uh, pre-June 3, uh, new new acquisition members. So I don't know if Pierre or Patrick's in the lead, and I think uh, Lesland's in number two, and the Charest campaign right now is the best public service announcement for medically assisted dying ever executed. <laughs> You know, I don't even give you a fourth the Titanic, Chad. My God Almighty, what a cruel man you are! Shocking. It's, it's a, it's not a great look. This campaign. It's... All right. Well, that's 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 where we're going to finish it on uh, that chippy note. So, thanks to the three of you. I really enjoyed this conversation, and and hopefully we can pick it up maybe after the Ontario election and and see Colin did stand. class it up a bit. I think. Yeah, she did. She brought you know I mean, mainstream bar. media, I mean, conservative voters. Look, the mainstream media. They aren't so bad. They do good things. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Chad Rogers is a founding partner at Crestview Strategy, Tim Powers is chairman at Summa Strategies, and Catherine Cullen is senior reporter at the CBC. Thanks again to them. On Saturday, voters in the BC riding of Vancouver-Kilchena will be going to the polls in a provincial by-election. This came after the resignation of former BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, who made a seat available for the party's new seatless leader, Kevin Falcon. Falcon is the heavy favorite to win this by-election, as the BC Liberals have taken at least 50% of the vote in this seat in every election since 1996. And that'll be it for the RIT podcast this week. The Ontario election will be getting started next week, and I'm going to start putting out some bonus podcast episodes during the campaign. These will be exclusive to subscribers to the RIT.ca only. So if you'd like to get access to those episodes, please head over to the site to subscribe. All right, until next week, keep safe, and thanks for listening.